Before I actually speak, I want to do something that I would normally do to you. And normally what I would do is that I would commend you. Uh, but I'd like to commend uh, a group of people that some of you may not know. And uh, last weekend, it was, uh, it was the, like a, a larger borderlands. It was New Frontiers together at the north. And the only way to describe it is that it lashed it down. <laughs> and, uh, and there were things like, you know, can you have evil weather? What is that, evil weather? And, and it was a quagmire. It was an absolute awful, horrible mess. And if anybody complains that their shower doesn't work at Borderlands on occasions, I will visit you (laughs) and take you up north for a little while just so that you can experience. And I just want to comment, there were were 67 churches represented, somewhere between 2,500 and 2,700 people camping in a field in a quagmire. And I want to just, just say this to you, to prov- provoke you. They, they were d- still determined to worship God. They were still determined to respond to the word of God. They were still there open to the Holy Spirit. That they were not going to be deterred by it at all. And I, I don't want to say that, and, say, and you are. <laughs> I, I want to say that because I want to just put on record, I just want to commend their hearts. Because many would have said, I'm off. And they didn't. They pressed into God. And I believe they got the fruit from pressing into God in really difficult circumstances. And uh, I just would like to do that on on their behalf. I want to commend some of these churches that you don't know. So if you've got a Bible, can you turn to uh, Luke chapter 2? Luke chapter 2. We're going to read verses uh, 21 Uh, And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit uh, was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him, up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the revelation uh, to the Gentiles and a glory for your people. 
Uh, we're actually beginning uh, a new series about people who, who uh, will meet with Jesus. And actually, there's a reason for that. It is our desire as elders that we and you meet with Jesus. That's what we want. If you want to know what we want for you, this is it. This is our desire. This is our prayer. This is what we do when we gather as elders. This is what we, we worship him and we pray. Lord, can we meet with Jesus? This is what we would want. But also, we would like you to know that you can invite your friends to these meetings. Because if it's about Jesus, it is about the gospel. And it is Jesus that saves. Therefore, from now on, it is a constant front-edge meeting. You can invite as many as you want. It is evangelistic, worshipful, go for it. Do you remember Pot Black? Pot as many balls as you can and all that sort of stuff. Whatever, what, what was it called? Oh, it was on a Saturday. Pot. I can't remember, but there you go. It's just me that's sad. Why don't you do this? For, this is your target. Between now, invite as many people as you can. Just do it. We're going to be preaching about Jesus. It will include the gospel. Luke tells us about the presentation of Jesus. The normal, the normal events following the birth of the firstborn son in a Jewish family. And Mary and Joseph, Joseph and Mary were being obedient to the law of Moses. They choose obedience. You hear that? Moses chose obedience. You choose obedience. You choose disobedience. You don't fall over and wake up and say, oh no, disobedience, sorry about that, just bump me knee, now I'm disobedient. No, you make a choice to be disobedient. You make a choice to be obedient. Choose obedience. It is good for you. They choose obedience because they were unclean after giving birth uh, to this little one. And according to the law of, of uh, Moses, it required purification and sacrifice. So they've chosen this, and this is what they're going to do. And they go up to Jerusalem. It's an interesting term because physically, Jerusalem is not up from Bethlehem. Physically, Bethlehem is lower. So what on earth were they doing going up to Jerusalem? Something in their hearts meant that to go up to Jerusalem meant something special, special, something they saw as a higher place. So what they would do is say that this is where God dwells. They would go into the higher place. They would say, I'm setting out to, up to Jerusalem, to the presence of God. You know, you have to make not only an obedient choice, you have to say, not only is my obedience, I'm going up to be in the presence of God. Going up there to be there. I hope you have come to be in the presence of God this morning. I hope you have come up to Jerusalem. Jesus referred it to it later, his, his father's house. And it's there that they would meet this man, Simeon. We know very little about him. 
very little. And I think that's lovely that we do. <laughs> Uh, because we tend to elevate people a little bit too much when they come in contact with Jesus, don't they? Don't we? We just have that tendency to elevate him. So we can't elevate him. But if you look at verse 29, you'll find that he's at the end of his years. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Here's a wonderful thing for, for us in our old age. We can still meet with the Lord. You don't become older, mature, and without necessity of meeting the Spirit of God. No, right up to the end, we press through into the presence of God. Uh, We know uh, that he considered himself privileged to be involved in the naming and circumcision of Jesus. And it is an outstanding privilege to be involved in the person and the life of Jesus Christ. It is a privilege. It is a wonder. I am an outstandingly privileged person because Jesus Christ is in my life. Full stop. You are too. Without him, Scripture says, you are not privileged. Wow. Awesome. <laughs> what a wonder. What a privilege. The naming of Jesus was important to the Jews because of the name was important to them. So this person would name Jesus, would give him the name Jesus, the name that the angel had, uh, had uh, said that this was the name he was to have. But what a wonderful name. How, who is this Jesus? Who is he? And he bursts in into this temple in the arms of his mother and father, placed into the arms of this old guy who is working as a layman in the, in the temple. And what is wonderful here is that he knows that he's got God, the Saviour, in his hands. Wow. He has got... He has got the one who saves in his hands. Who is this Jesus? Jesus is the one who saves. Who can save you from the coming wrath of God? One person, one person alone. Let me ask you this question. Is he in your arms? Do you have hold of him? Is he close to you? Is the Saviour in your arms? Wow. So, circumcision was important also because it was an obedient uh, sign of outward obedience to God. We're going to have an altar call later for it. Feel free to respond to it. We have the equipment to be able to to do it. Um, But I want you to know this. uh, Don't worry, Andrew. You're you're just on the front row. You would do it row by row, so don't worry. It's interesting, isn't it, that the Jews call circumcision an outward sign of obedience. Well, what do we think obedience is then if it's not an outward sign? If obedience, obedience isn't something that I say, obedience is something that I do. It's an outward sign. 
People ought to be able to say to us, yes, they are followers of Christ because it's obedient. That is your circumcision. Your circumcision is not the ministry time. Your circumcision is in your workplace, amongst your neighbours, in the place that you go, the people say, yeah, they're the obedient ones. They're the, you can see them by the outward sign. They're the circumcised ones. Paul will later take that up in one of his letters and demonstrate it. How, you know, even on things like, you know, your email, your Facebook account. Oh! It's just really interesting how much disobedience you find on Facebook, isn't it? No, even on Facebook, I am, I'm an obedient one. I Twitter obedience. That's what we do. Some of the old ones go, what on earth is he on about? You Twitter obedience. I am, I am an obedient one. Because of Christ in me, I'm, I'm, my outward obedience is like this. It's really interesting. That'd be a chat. They'll all be chat. Monday morning, loads of godly quotes will be. <laughs> it's just really. Some people, re- they write disobedience. What are we doing? Come on, we're the outwardly obedient ones. And part of the ceremony, Joseph and Mary would offer this sacrifice of a pair of turtle doves or pigeons. It should have been a lamb, but they hadn't got the money to do it. So it was two turtle doves. What is really interesting about this is that poverty doesn't stop worship, which is a real thing, isn't it? Poverty does not stop us from worshipping. Do you remember there's the, the widow and the widow's mind? You can still worship with all your heart. Give all of you and still be poor. In fact, the Lord, not demands it, but loves it. Because you see the widow's might, don't you? When he, when she, this one. Not that one, this one. So come on, if you, if you are struggling financially, worship the Lord. The Lord loves it and find, will find your worship acceptable. So I want to look at some of the attributes of this man, Simeon, so we can see what we can uh, learn about him. And the first thing is that you'll note that he was righteous and devout. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. He worked in the temple, but he was not a priest. He was a layman and probably worked even through into his old age. That you love the fact that laymen meet with Jesus. I love that. Here it is. A layman meets with you. A layman serves in the temple. We're not into the new covenant yet. The baby has a, And here we've got the, the, the start, as it were, of the new covenant. No, the layman has a ministry. The layman has something from God. The layman can meet with God. Isn't that absolutely, you know, come on, layman. (laughs) You can meet with your God. You can serve in the temple and be a blessing to it. In fact, you are vitally important for it. And actually, Jesus wants to come and be in your arms too. That is wonderful. So he's a layman. But we see these two words that describe his life and character. Righteous. It's interesting that the Greek word here for righteous is righteous in regard to men and devout is devout is a a reverence of God a fear of God a respect of God showing how he was before his God 
So we have now a picture of how he was before man and how he was before God. This was not shallow. This was deep. This was a man whose, whose God had affected all areas of his life. That was how he was. He was prepared to not only be uh, a wonderful worshipper, but a righteous man before God. And in the world that we live in, there is a real call today for people to be righteous out there. There's a real call. The world is lacking righteousness. And it's time for us to be righteous and a righteous people. And we mustn't lose fact that we are to build not just a charismatic church, not just a great band. <laughs> well, there you go. Not, not just some good contributions, not just the odd... Pro- but if we're going to restore the church properly, then we need to restore two things to it as well. One is righteousness. Righteousness needs to be restored. Holy people needs to be restored. It's not a great preach, is it, really? But it's true. Because we, can't, we, we must be doing away with sin. And also, in regard to our worship, it mustn't always be familiar. There must be an awe and a reverence of our God. There must be a respect for him. There must be a sense of coming to meet with God as the creator of heavens and earth. He isn't just your friend of sinners. He is the almighty God. Sometimes it's just, well, you know, just a little bit of casual worship. It isn't, no, we should have a respect of this. this. This is the God that can create and take people's lives that bring wrong offerings. Wow. It's a bit difficult to work, walk past the offering thing now today, isn't it, really? Who will go first? Let's send Jonathan Burrow, see what he gives in. If he goes past, I'll follow. But I'll put a penny in more. Just in go- But sometimes we've lost that, folks. We've lost a righteousness. We've lost a holiness. We've lost a fear of God. And yet, here's a man that was deeply righteous, deeply fearing God. Here's the wonderful thing, and he met with Jesus. Yeah? Wow. What a platform. Righteousness and devout. Second one. Uh, He was waiting. There's a man in Jerusalem whose name is Simeon and This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Israel, at the time of Jesus' birth, as you know, uh, meant, if you were there, a loss of political independence. It didn't matter what you thought. (laughs) The Romans were in town. And King Herod was dictating and dictating well. Taxes were, were rising, there was a loss of freedom, there was increase of slavery. Not only that, the religious guys had let us all down. We had uh, legalistic scribes and sinful uh, Pharisees, and there was no prophet at this time. But in the midst of this, 
they were a people looking forward, living and believing for a new hope and a new day, earnestly praying, earnestly waiting for the consolation of Israel. You know, when we sing songs about the return of Jesus, it isn't just that we say, oh, oh, that will happen one day. Fantastic! It is that that's how we live. We are a people living for the return of Christ. Not waiting for it, living for it. I stylize my life on the return of Christ. I shape it. This is what these people will do. They were shaping their life, waiting for Jesus. They were living according to, well, he could come tomorrow. I, I, I don't know whether you went to those sort of... So I used to go there, the Lord might return any minute. I got saved 37 times through those sermons. All that's, but it is, there are, there are people... We, we sort of live as if we're not in an eternal perspective. That The Lord, wow. It's that sort of, but here it is. There's a people waiting. How were they waiting How should I be waiting? Well, I am waiting that Jesus will come and meet with us. I'm waiting for that day, those moments, those weeks, those months, those years when we will so powerfully meet with God that the bunch of us will be overwhelmed by the presence of God. We were not overwhelmed this morning. But I'm going to keep going till we are. Yeah. And I'd love you to join me in this. I want you to know that you know, my heart is there will be a day where Jesus will break through. The Spirit of God will be upon us and we will be useless in front of him. We've had some good signs, but not this yet. Are you Eagerly awaiting the arrival of Jesus. Wow. Is that how we are? There are five Greek words for waiting. Here's the first one. Oh, I'm not going to try and pronounce them. I wrote them down. I thought, no, that's going to just time up in bits. And two begin with A, one begins with E, and two begin with P. And I have them in my notes, and Dorothy has them. You can read them. Five Greek words. First one is this, to wait patiently, but anticipate in advance. I'm waiting patiently, but I'm preparing. Whoa. Second one is to intensely wait. We hate those sort of Christians, don't we? Those intense ones. Just far too intense. Why can't they just chill out and have a beer? What's up with them? Or in India, have a curry. Just, just chill out, have a curry. Is that what you say? I don't know. Usually at 10 o'clock at night. By that time. I don't know why our Indians eat at 10 o'clock. At, why is that? Because I don't know whether you've noticed this. It's just a digression. Silas says to me, I eat at 10 o'clock because that's what we did in India. It's 40 degrees in India. 30 degrees. It's 19 degrees here at best. It's no good saying, well, it'll be warmer. We can eat on the roof. Have you heard that? When was the last time you saw one of our Indians eating on our roofs, <laughs> hanging onto the tiles, going, curry's good? <laughs> Come on, Silas. We can't eat on our roofs at 30 degrees at night. So they were intensely waiting. There is a lack of intensity, isn't there, in Christians? 
We sort of dismiss it, don't like those. But here it is. Thirdly, to look forward with open anticipation. Fourthly, to receive or welcome or to accept. Fifthly, to wait with great expectation. Their expectation was not because they were hoping. So it was not like, I am hoping that one day Jonathan Burroughs will have put those flat packs together that he bought nine months ago. I'm just longing for the day that he'll say, Nigel, would you like to come around for coffee and see my resurrected flat packs? (laughs) It isn't. (laughs) See, I'm still longing, still longing for the day. I wake up in the morning and think, this is the day that I'm longing for. The expectation was built on promises in the word of God. So they knew that the promised Messiah would come. See, this is why we can't put an expectation, because there's no promise from Jonathan, but he's going to make one publicly to us all before we go home. So, there was, but, so that was what the expectation is. The expectation was because of what the prophets had said, what the prophecies were, they could live. Now, we have some promises. We have massive promises. Salvation. Oh, ours. Holy Spirit moving amongst us. Gifts of the Spirit poured out. Churches planted. All of those things coming. Regions forming in Wales in itself. Strange, sovereign things coming to it. Like towns like Oswestry. Where did that come from? Suddenly, out of heaven, it comes. Our expectation, therefore, is not based on a vain hope of a flatback. It is based on a promise. So we can gather, we can be eager and intense about it because we have a promise. That's what, we can know that when we gather next week, come on guys, there should be an intensity of expectation to us because the Lord has promised he wants to meet with us. And here's the wonderful thing, that expectancy somehow reacts to the heart of God. God doesn't seem to react to complacency. He seems to react to this expectancy. There's some revivalists that actually talk about a law of expectancy. We won't go into that, but it is. And I think God loves a people who have come together to say, Lord, would you come? Would you meet with us? He knew the Holy Spirit was upon him. Three times in just these short verses, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And the Holy Spirit was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. And it is revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. And he came, I love this, don't you love this statement? And he came in the Spirit to the temple. Now what do I go to the temple for? I know I go to the temple to get filled with the Spirit. Hmm. That's why I go. When I walk through these doors, it will happen. Not Simeon. He's in the Spirit. Can you imagine Simeon on his way to the temple? It's not drunk as they suppose. Where's the doors? Come in here. You know, I mean, this, this is Ephesians stuff. You know, it's not, they're not drunk as they look at this. They're on the way. This guy was making sure that he was full of the Holy Spirit. On the, now, how did he go with your cornflakes this morning? Mm-hmm. Come on. This is a wonderful thing. No wonder Jesus was laid in his arms. This was a guy like, don't you love that? I also, I also think that we live in such a pragmatic, logical, practical, 
mind-thinking world, that actually this just breaks us out, doesn't it? What, what makes us different? I, we don't really want pragmatic, logical, practical, orientated churches, do we? Surely not. We want something that will confound the world and take it on. How do we take on the world? Well, we argue with them. Nope. We sort of, you know, let's develop our apologetics. What do you do if you're thick and stupid like me? What sort of apologetics have I got? What have I got to argue? I just get lost at the first argument and I have to stand and go, thank you, when you've got no qualifications, you cannot do apologetics. So what can we do? God. God saves. God heals. God transforms. God moves people's lives. And they can't do anything about it. This is what we need. We need this. <laughs> I just think it's so funny. Because you just look at this guy. And you just think, this was not... An, oh, hear this, old. This was not a young guy going to New Day or Soul Survivor. This was, this was dead old. I know he was dead old because, because in a moment he would be dead because he said that. <laughs> this was dead, dead old. Or dead, 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 dead old. I mean, this was... A, and what was he like? He was, he was in the spirit on the way to church. And you think, oh, God. Wouldn't it be great? Come on. What energy amongst this person. It's just wonderful. Burst into the temple full of the Holy Spirit. What did he say? He said, I knew this would happen. God spoke to me. Fantastic. Don't you love that? It had been revealed to him. Not only did he, he knew the Holy Spirit was upon him. I just Look, guys, Holy Spirit, bottom line. Got to be bottom line. It hasn't got to be great. Bottom line. God's got to be amongst us. When you read this stuff in Ephesians, you, you see why. There are some practical reasons. Paul says to the church in Ephesus, he says in Ephesians, he says, therefore, do not be foolish. But understand what is the will of the Lord. Okay? So let's get this over. What is not being foolish? What is the will of the Lord? <gasps> Deep breath. Do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. How do you stop being foolish? Uh, well, I know you're looking at me going, well, it's a puzzle. How do you understand the will of the Lord? How do you stop being debaucherous? How do you address one another spiritually and not casually? How do you worship? How are you thankful? How do you appreciate one another? Do a course. <laughs> no. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with it. God gives us a wonderful answer. Be filled with the Spirit. Because when you're filled with the Spirit, something greater 
becomes your desire in your heart. When you've met with him, wow. Can you imagine that you are so filled with the spirit that over coffee you start singing to the person in the queue next to you? This will be the day that we will check it out. Suddenly in the queue, there's operatic songs coming from the coffee queue as you sing melody to each other. You're thinking, he's mad. It's a good test, isn't it really? Uh, When was the last time that you knocked on Jonathan, she never sit there, Jonathan Burroughs' doors, and Jonathan just just opened up, I've come off nights. You can tell Jonathan when he's come on, he looks like another nationality. It just, everything just changes. And suddenly, there he is, sort of, he's had seven nights in A&E. And you open the door and he, and he opens it and he goes, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Come on, Jonathan. Our great redeemer's praise. Mass. Bush. But it's true, isn't it? How, do you, how charismatic are we? Mold. Steve. He will do it. So just... Uh, <laughs> he just does... Uh, he does those crazy things. That I just regret having to do this because you're just going to ring up. If you get that number coming, it's got 01352... Ignore it, because Steve is just going to sing melody down the phone to you. He's going to work his way through the... How, how filled are you? How filled are you? Obviously, not filled enough then. Me included. He's going to do it, isn't he? I just, just, yeah, I know. We're all going to change our phones to those ones that go, "Mm, mm," because we can't, Steve! He took, he took him in his arms. He took him in his arms. Verse 28. He placed the baby close to his heart. This was an intimate Emotional experience where it also demonstrated the place where Jesus longs to be. Jesus longs, wants you to have him close. There is a battle for intimacy with Jesus. I believe it's uh, an emotional battle, but it's one worth fighting for. How close is Jesus to you? Can you feel him? You know, I don't know if you've ever... Mine have grown up now, so I can't... It's very difficult for me to do this thing. But you, you can remember this can't you, uh, adults, that when you take a, a baby and you place it onto you, you can feel their heartbeat, you can hear their breath, you can catch their warmth, and there's something about it. I know I can't say they'll kill me for this, but there's something lovely in it about 
having this baby, particularly when it's not wrapped up in those things that make them go like that. <laughs> and, he, and he put them sort of, they put you, he, he placed them next to you. There's something about it. It is wonderful. <coughs> this is the place of Jesus to you. He wants you to be able to feel his heartbeat. He wants you to be able to hear what he says. He wants you to be able to feel the warmth as we sing of his embrace. It's worth fighting for. Now you can worship at a distance if you like. But I want to fight for him to be near. You can know him in your head. But surely it's better to hold him near and feel him near. And what was Simeon doing? He'd got Jesus in his arms. He was gazing upon the beauty of the Son of God. What an incredible privilege to gaze upon his beauty. <laughs> what is worship really about? It's gaze upon his beauty. It's look at him in his eyes. It is wonderful. He was so close. So, so close. Now that baby is interceding for you. And what does the scripture say about this baby who was so close to Simeon? It says in Hebrews chapter 4, let us draw where near with confidence. What does that near mean? Let us be entwined is the word. Let us be entwined with Jesus. Let us be entwined with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and might, and might find grace to help in time of need. So you don't bring your need to Jesus, you bring Jesus to you. Do you see that? It's often our thing, our prayer list, isn't it? Let's bring our needs. And Jesus says, no, draw near to me, that's the thing that you do, And the product of that nearness will be that I will meet your needs. But if you bring the need, if you draw together by the need, it doesn't work. No. If you want to intercede for anything big, try worshipping Jesus only. If there's something massive in your life, something that you're facing, why not drop it for a while and love Jesus? Draw near to him first. That's the thing. And the writer has one simple goal for his readers, and it is this, draw near. I think that would be our passion as elders. Draw near. Draw near to God. Because when we do, we find all that we need. All that we need is not found in our needs, but found in him and him alone. More than that, the writer to the Hebrews tells us this, that when we draw near to God, something extraordinary happens. When we draw near to Jesus, it says that we have, enter, we, uh, we have confidence to enter, later on it says this, to the, the enter the, the most holy place. Wow, that's incredible. Do you remember what the most holy place was in the Old Testament? Do you remember that it was the inner room? Do you remember it was the Holy of Holies? Do you remember it was the place where only the priest went once a year? Do you remember that? 
But as we draw Jesus near to us, it's like saying, I'm in the presence of the glory of God. (laughs) So for us, bringing Jesus near to us, the glory of God is at stake. We often hear that, don't we? Send your glory. Wow. Here's the answer. We've got two more to do. He took him into his arms and praised God. For Simeon, this moment was not about him and it was not about the temple, but it was about the one that he had in his arms. He'd come to the temple to meet with Jesus. He was old and he was frailed and therefore his personal and practical needs did not come into it. (laughs) He'd put them aside to meet with Jesus. Now, there are lots of things that practically will stop us worshipping. They don't come into it. Well, you know, this happened Saturday. You know, if you're like Phil and Rachel, you know, they were clubbing till four o'clock. Need, need to sleep. Can't do church this morning. Now, take a leaf out of Simeon's book. You can do the practical things another time. Come and meet with Jesus. He was frail and he was old and he had this as his priority. And anyway, he knew this in his heart, that church was not about our needs, but it is about meeting with Jesus. Your needs will get met, but the priority is meeting with him. I always think about this song. I can't, um, because I find some songs quite difficult to sing because I feel that I'm, I'm lying I don't know whether you, perhaps you don't think like that. I I just feel that I'm just not telling the truth in worship. There's a song that is quite an old one. It says, Jesus, lover of my soul. And I feel I lie a bit. It's all about you, Jesus, but it's not. I feel that I lie. It's for your glory and your fame, but I've got other things that, you know, a priority it's not about me but Nigel it often is if you should do things my way and yet I say to God so often Lord would you bless my plans I never line up with his plans I ask him to bless mine it's all about me Jesus now line up with my plans and bless my plans. And it's what we do. Lord, I, I want to do this. Will you bless me? No. <laughs> I'll line up with what he says in Scripture I should do. They're his plans. It's interesting when we say, well, the Lord has plans and purposes for us. Plans to bless us and all that sort of stuff. Those are not our personal plans, guys. They're, they're not our promotions. They're his plans. They're, they're his desires. They're his kingdom and that sort of stuff. You alone are God and I surrender to all your ways. As your pastor, I don't. I don't. I don't. This needs to be a huge shift, doesn't there? If we talk about impacting the world. And here's, we can't get over this one. How can we impact the world unless we do some of this? We impact the world and they're going to go, ha, huh. 
just going to do it, aren't they? Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 and 11. Therefore God has what exalted him highly. He, he takes the highest place. And he's bestowed on him the name that is above every name. This is the place that he has. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. And and every tongue confess that he is Lord. So that's his place. His place is bigger than me. This is my battle. He's not bigger than me all the time. And I'm the professional guy. Therefore God has highly exalted him. John Piper says this. Let me read this to you. Therefore God has highly exalted him. Wherefore has God highly exalted Jesus? Because though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of servant, being born in in likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore God highly exalted him. The Father loves the Son because he is obedient. The Father has an infinite delight in the Son because the Son esteems the Father so highly that he chose to, for him to die the worst of death. Wow. The Father loves to exalt the humble. Here's the Psalms. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly. Thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in a high and holy place and I also with him who is of contrite, hot and humble spirit. God just didn't make him big. God made him big because he was impressed with him. Are you impressed with Jesus to the same extent that the Father, that you exalt him above all other things, above all other names, above all other knees. Is Jesus exalted in our lives to this extent, to the extent of the Father? If God has exalted him, then my journey is to exalt him too. To give him the name above every other name. I'll do a joke in a minute because you all look a bit serious. Oh, I will. Can you make it work? The battery died. Um, He was at a piece about his own death. Did it go? Oh, well. I'll leave it to Andrew. There's only one to go, I think. Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. (laughs) Dear. The fact uh, his faith, the fact the Holy Spirit was upon him, the fact that he encountered Jesus enabled him to face the most difficult thing that anybody could face. And that thing is death. Can you think of anything harder than death? No. But here... He is at peace with it. When things go wrong, the first thing that can go is God. (laughs) But Simeon had a better way. He had discovered the stronger the relationship with God, the smaller the difficulties. So, So here is God, and here is death, 
And Simeon had, had enabled himself to elevate God so that death looked here. Wow. He had also put his life in the realm of the eternal and not the temporal. I live eternally. I don't know whether we've grasped this yet. But life on this earth is really short. And life on heaven is really massive. And we've just got that the wrong way around, haven't we? In our thinking. I know this because I don't know whether some of the older guys do this. But it's begun to, I've, I've begun to think that I'm about three years younger than I was. So when people sort of, how, how, how old are you? Ooh, 27. What's your next birthday? Ooh, 28. No, my next birthday is 55. Whether I like it or not, it is. But every now and again, if I'm asked, oh, 53, 52, you know, that sort of stuff. And, and it is, I just sort of, and it is. And I think genuinely, genuinely, we, are, we have put a huge importance on here and not in the life to come. That actually, this is the big one and this is the little one. Uh, and we need to shift in it, don't we? There will be trouble in this world and all those sort of things. I like, I like Philippians chapter 1 where Paul does a, a win-win. He says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I always tell that uh, to myself <laughs> every now and again. But what does that mean? It means that if I live, I'm, if I live, I live for him. And if I die, I go to be with him. Win-win. It's that, that's, the way that, that's the way that it is. But here's the interesting thing that he says. And I want, if you are not a Christian here today, I'd like you to just focus on me for a second. Well, just for a few seconds. Because he says this, Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace. Wow. So he knew that death was coming but his transition from in through death would be, he would be at peace. Now I believe this, that we will all die. I think that's true, isn't it? But some of us will die at peace and some of us will not. And that's what Simeon is able to say. And he is able to say that. Simeon is able to say that because he has a personal relationship with God and now Jesus that brings peace so that the ultimate thing that we face in life can actually be our greatest moment. Now I know my kids will rather look at me in agony, particularly ones that are planning things shortly. And I can honestly say this, at this point... At this point, I know that I am at peace with my own death. Now, my wife worries about this because every now and again we have, this, we have this conversation. But I want you to know this from me to you, that I might be rubbish at worshipping this, but my kids and my wife will testify this, that actually I am at peace with my own death. They will know. You can ask them that privately. They will tell you that. I am not in fear at all. Not at all. You might think, you arrogant old whatever. No. You, and, and I have to say to you, you may think that. 
But I just believe that the Lord has given me a great peace about the future. It is wonderful. I'm at peace with it. I'm able to talk about it. And, but I'm not going to be a 93-year-old looking like 20-something because I'm at peace with my own death. I'm at peace with my old, older age and at death. Where has that come from? God. I have not done it myself. God has given it to me. It is a gift from God. I was going to go on and I won't go on. So I'll just finish with this. I don't know. They're not working. Oh, they are. Can you do another one? Let's finish with this. He saw the significance of the babies. I'm just going to go on. I don't know why I was going to go on. I was going to go on about promises, but we'll do that. He saw the significance of the baby in his arms. We have to see the significance of the baby. <laughs> we really do have to see the significance. You know, have we seen the significance of Jesus? Because when we see the significance, it, cha- it shapes us. And he says this, he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. What an incredible thing. There are people here who can say that. My eyes have seen your salvation. I can say that. There was a day when God broke into my life and my eyes have seen your salvation. I saw what Jesus Christ had come for, what he was about, who he was. Then I've, my eyes have seen your salvation It wasn't my salvation. I didn't save myself. Not at all. No, he saved me. My eyes have seen whose salvation? The one that you give. Do you know? That offer is is not open just for me. It's open. Uh, It was open for Simeon. Simeon can do it. It is open for you. It is the free gift of God. Salvation is free. And your eyes can see the offer of it. By faith. You take it. You respond to the person, Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 4, verses 8 to 12, we'll finish with this. It says this, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and the elders, if we are being examined today concerning the good deeds done to the crippled man, remember the crippled man healed at at the beautiful gate, by what means has this man been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, who you crucified, God, whom God raised from the dead, by this, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which have become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given amongst men by which you must be saved. Let me, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You cannot be saved by coming to church. You cannot be saved by being religious. You cannot be saved by reading a good religious book. You can't be saved by singing a song or listening to. You are saved by calling upon the name of Jesus and acknowledging him as the saviour of the world, of standing before him and saying, I am just a person who has sinned, and I cannot do anything about this, that my sin was placed upon him on the cross. He died for my sin. He has exchanged my sin and given me his righteousness so that I can live forever. There is no other name by which men can be saved. You call upon him the name of Jesus. 
And what does it say in Acts later on? It says, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness. Your sins are forgiven. Your righteousness is given. You can have the hope of eternal life and you can live forever with him. That's the thing. More than that, it says this, that you have prepared this in the presence of all peoples. What does that mean? It means that salvation is not just for you. It means that there are peoples yet to come into the kingdom of God. That Actually, this is something really exciting for us because as Gateway Church Wrexham, we, we are not on about converting people. We're about discovering God's work in Wrexham. God has a work to do, saving people. He might be saving you right now and you should respond to him right now. More than that, we, the God has a people he said, oh no, blooming heck, it's really hard out there. The Welsh, you know. Rubbish. It's nothing to do with that. No, God has a people in here for him. They're there for us. What is evangelism? Oh, it's about an alpha course or the Christianity explored. It's about this and no, I think this course is better than that course. No, it isn't. This one's more successful and all that. So rubbish. It isn't. It's about us as the people of God discovering where God is at work. And there are people out there that God is at work. There are people in Oswestry that will be saved this day. And it will be nothing to do with you because you're all sitting here. There will be people in Deeside that will be saved this day and in Wrexham because God is at work calling a people together. Salvation is irresistible. It's calling you now. It's calling a people across North Wales. And I am delighted to be involved in it. This is the wonderful thing. That's why he can stand up and say, look, I've seen your salvation. God has prepared it for us. It's a light to the revelation to the Gentiles and a glory for a, a light and a revelation and a glory. What, what are, we haven't got time to do it and I'm not going to do it. I just want to ask you this question. Let's finish with this one. Please stand. I'm just going to give you an opportunity. It's simply this. And I'm not going to milk it because I'm not an evangelist. And so I don't know how to do it five times. I just want to do it. I'm going to give you an opportunity. And, and it's really this. Steve, if you could go and stand at the back. That's the front. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to go well. That's it, Steve. And you could go slightly... To your right and to your left. Okay, keep going out of my way so I can say. We're just gonna, we're just gonna sing a song, and I'm gonna do a cappella. So Phil, I'm hoping that you can respond to this and just sing, uh, Jesus, lover of my soul, uh, and just the chorus. Uh, what's that one? And if you would like to know Jesus as your own personal saviour today, I would like you to go. And speak with Steve. You can become a Christian today. You can know that salvation that Simeon had in his arms. While we are singing, I'd like you to go and respond to Steve. Steve will share the gospel with you and pray with you. I'd like to ask something. I would like to ask some of other people. I just believe that other people that just need to sort this out in your life. Who is the most important thing? For you, I don't want you to respond. What I want you to do to this one is just respond to God in your own heart. That's a decision that is nothing to do with me, but everything to do with God. 
For the rest of you, let's just love Jesus. And then we'll go and have coffee and you can sing and make melody to one another in, in the coffee queue.